If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. So one of you fuckers up there gonna stay now? I bet you're waiting for me to do it, right? Fuck you! And away we go! You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast today i'm coming to you from the brand new live on four legs studios in north syracuse new york the move was difficult but it's a success because we are here right now and being able to record even though it's much later than we usually do but you on wednesday aren't going to understand that so it doesn't matter to you However, this week, we are making one final pit stop in 1993, and that is kind of going off of the timeline that we were working on because we were doing the weeks as they go, you know, all of November and then went into December for last week. But this week, we are going all the way back to September to work on a Vancouver show where Pearl Jam opened up for Neil Young with Blind Melon on the bill as well. This is our first ever in five plus years first ever time doing a vancouver show that doesn't feel right however we're going to make it up to all your vancouverans if that's what you call yourselves and we're gonna do a little rundown on the history of vancouver i found at least one cool little factoid about this nice little british columbian city that we can get into talking about all the pearl jam shows that happened there so If you like that, if you like more 1993 stuff, then I think you are in for a pretty decent, yet short, show. Randy Sobel over here, John Farr over there. Hello, hello. Yeah, I didn't realize that there have been 12 Vancouver shows. If you had asked me, I would have said, oh, four or five, maybe. But no, there have been 12. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was top-heavy, like, early, because... Yeah, two and 91, two and 92... Right. Yeah. The town pump was kind of an early destination for them and it was their fifth show. And then they played it later in that year. And there was a couple 1992, 1993, but then once you go on the actual like tour years, it kind of gets spread out a little bit. They do 98, they do 2000, they do 2003, but then 
It's a couple more times, and it's way more random. You would think, being so close to Seattle, that this would be kind of like a home-away-from-home kind of show, but for some reason, this isn't on every single tour that they've been on, and I'm wondering what goes into making that decision. Maybe it's just a proximity. They know that there's going to be some crossover with Seattle, and they don't want to diminish those shows by putting one, you know, 30 minutes away or however far it is. They did it on the Canadian run in 05 and the one in 11. But yeah, they haven't had one in 10 years, so we'll see what happens. You want to do a little bit of history of Pearl Jam in Vancouver here? Little factoids? All right. So the first show, which is their fifth show ever that they do in Vancouver, fifth show all time, and they're already going up to Canada. Actually, I believe their fourth was somewhere up in British Columbia as well. I can't remember the town. Victoria, maybe? I'm not sure. But it's at the town pump on January 11th, 91. There's still Mookie Blaylock, obviously. And everybody knows this from watching PJ20. It was the moment where they showcase as like Eddie being the shy guy and this sort of being a moment where he can kind of break out and share some of that aggression that we know him to have. And that moment is the breath moment where security was being rough on somebody in the crowd and Ed goes down and he's trying to get the security guy to stop, but he didn't have the power to do that kind of stuff back then. Now, like security shuts up and listens. Yeah. But back then guy pays no mind to it. He's just some random lead singer up on stage that nobody even knows. And he gives him an earful during that really, really cool moment where he screams the lyrics of breath into his face. Yeah, you see his expression change and like that righteous kind of Ed anger that we would come to see. That's the kind of like they talk about it in the movie. That's kind of the birth of that. Where like the show's got a lot more aggressive and a lot more focused after that. But yeah, I mean, this is an important show. You also get like the debut of Oceans to open this. You get the last performance of Just a Girl. So there's some stuff here. That is not a show that we have in full. I believe the only thing that we do have is that breath moment that yeah. was on BJ20. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you take what you can get. But, hey, look, if anybody has it, maybe Cameron Crow out there is willing to share at some point. Yeah, this is one that, like, that Kevin, like, the merch guy, like, just videoed the whole thing. Like, let, let's lease that thing, man. Let's go. Uh, yeah, Kevin Schuss, if you're out there, yeah. we'd love to yeah. talk to you. I know he doesn't do a lot of interviews, but... Hey, he's the keeper of all these great items, so why not? Why not get to look inside the vault, because he's the vault master. But anyway, moving on into 1992, they play a place called Plaza of Nations, as it was originally scheduled for the town pump and changed due to high ticket demand, which was happening a lot in 1992. I believe the one that we talked about a couple weeks ago with Jonathan Cohen was the Stockholm Show. Same sort of situation, but not a lot of information on the actual show itself, aside from there being an outdoor venue and the band actually threatening to leave after Stone was pelted with shoes. That obviously bothered them then, and then, you know, cut to a year later, it would kind of come to a head. (sighs) What is it with shoes in this band? Yeah, it's been a recurring theme. I don't know, because the whole thing, I guess, with the grunge scene, like the Doc Martin, so people showing that they're representing, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. People just want something to throw, and 
You know, they don't have a cell phone at the time, I suppose. Right. Now, Lollapalooza later that year, you go two months later, exactly two months later on the 21st. Another one that we don't have on bootleg, but this is kind of a celebrated moment here because once you get to years later and and people are making covers for bootlegs, this moment where Ed dives into the crowd off a scaffold during Porch, the image of that has been used for countless bootleg covers over the years. And the one in, uh, that I have in my head that I know it was used for was the Melbourne 1995 show from March 17th. You know and have probably seen this image before. Ed is diving into the crowd. Everybody kind of thinks it's Pink Pop, but he's wearing a different shirt than Pink Pop. But the same era festival, that was, I think, the third show of that Lollapalooza run. So, yeah, yeah. he was doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, now another thing about Vancouver is like, we needed a hookup there with the bootlegs. We needed somebody there, like not very good record keeping from the Vancouverites back in the early nineties. It would have been nice to have someone there documenting these shows that we missed. The Vancouverans and Knights, you guys got to come through in the clutch. And you know what? In 1998, they did. It was at the Pacific Coliseum. Now we're kind of evolving into bigger and better places. And most of their places after this would be at the Pacific Coliseum or at the General Motors place. I believe that's where the Canucks play. And this is not known for being a great crowd show in 1998. And we talked a lot about that during our Evolution episode on Do the Evolution. There were moments where Ed was running into the crowd and singing towards like the empty seats, something that you're just not very familiar with at Pearl Jam shows. It seems very, very different, but I wonder if that kind of added a little bit of hesitancy to why they don't return very often. Yeah, could be. I remember that they had kind of a crowd they thought was a little bit lackluster during the main set. So Ed came out in the encore said we're doing do the evolution and really took it on himself to get the crowd going and yeah it's super intense version but can see that you know hit him on an off night and that can happen every once in a while but they kept going back as they always do now like i said it's going to be the next couple of years where they hit it up almost every big tour so they go back in 2000 but it's not technically during one of the legs it's actually after that Mount Baker Theater show, yep. the, the night after at the Commodore Ballroom, where it was about a little over a thousand that were in attendance, very intimate set around the time that Binaural had just come out. So it's a tune-up show, one of their famous tune-up shows before going out and doing the tour in Europe. Evacuation ends that main set and soon forget <laughs> closes the show. That's all you need to know. Yep. Weird among the weird, but... That's why we haven't gotten a chance to talk about Vancouver, so we get to learn a little bit more about the weird shit. So now, flash forward to the Ride Act tour, and now they're in the General Motors place. This is on May 30th of 2003. Eight Riot Act songs played, and only one song from ten. I thought that that was the most telling thing about that show. Yeah, just even flow. And a Love Boat Captain opener. Yeah, looking at this, it looks pretty good. I mean, those are the kind of shows that stand out because you're missing Alive, you're missing Black, you're missing Porch. None of that stuff is here, so on this night, for whatever reason, they held those back and went heavy on the new record. Now, we are guaranteed to do at least one Vancouver show, maybe as early as next year, probably get to it next year, because this next one from 2005 is a request from, I believe, our patron, Matt. 
And again, it's at the GM place. And it was the official Canadian tour kickoff. It was the first destination that they went after the gorge and then started this big, massive journey throughout all of the prairies and all of the big cities and small towns all throughout the country of Canada. And Thunder Bay had great shows. Kitchener had great show. Like, it's funny to look back on it because, no, they'd never been back to some of these places. But it's good to see that. Canada got their due at that time, and it all kind of kicked off in that Vancouver show. Yeah, three encores there, too. That tells you something, too. But, yeah, I mean, that 05 Canadian tour is legendary for many reasons. I mean, immortalized in Jason Leung's book, All-Encompassing Trip, and a lot of great shows on that run. They almost went and did the whole thing again in 2011, tried to recapture some of it, but that 05 one is special. Now, back in 2009, they're back at the same place. It's September 25th, and this is the one and only opener of In My Tree. Dun, dun, dun. Have you listened to the show before? Oh, I don't think so. I feel like this would be up your alley to kind yeah, of see. Yeah, I might, might have to check it out. Yeah, that's interesting. Like that drum intro and everything, like that could be a really cool way to start. I'm, I'm in for yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. And like, there's a no way here. Sad and difference with Ben Harper. So yeah, interesting. Now, another point for the next show, Pacific Coliseum in 2011, which is exactly the date two years later, same date, September 25th. They are back in basically the same place, the same city, but it's a no code heavy show, kind of in the same light as opening within my tree. Six songs from no code that you're getting in 2011. That feels really rare for that time. Does, but also you get an Olay, so you get a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Yeah, that balances it out, right? Yeah, yeah. Tip scales a little bit. <laughs> One last show, Roger Center, that I believe is the same place as General Motors, just name change and corporate shit and all that. This is the last time they played there, December 4th, 2013. It's the penultimate show of the Lightning Bolt Tour from that year, multiple tour debuts, and I think the most notable one Going back to what you said about 2000, where this was the show closer, Soon Forget hadn't been played since 2006 and was played at this show. Yeah, we might have to do an evolution on Soon Forget. This might be Vancouver's song, but they also opened with Oceans, kind of a throwback to 91 and getting debuted there. I believe they've opened with Oceans in Vancouver three times. <laughs> Not a coincidence, probably. No, no, it's right on the water, of course. Yeah. But I'm wondering, out of all the cities... Do you think that they're number one in Ocean's openers? <laughs> Tough to say, but... Uh, yeah, maybe... I wouldn't say maybe number one, but probably top five. It's got to be up there. Yeah. Now, believe whatever you want with whatever rumors, but there are rumors out there saying that they will be in Vancouver next year. Who knows? We don't know yet. It is fun to speculate, but from people that I talk to that I trust, these are the things that they're hearing, so... Hopefully Vancouver, after 11 years, will be able to get their due again and maybe not just get one, but two shows. Who the heck knows? However, let's now get into a little bit of the story of this show because this happens two nights after the legendary MTV VMA performances of Animal and Rockin' in the Free World with Neil Young. And now 
they kind of did this a little bit over the summer where they played some of the places in Europe and opened up for Neil. And now a little bit in September, they're opening a couple shows for Neil too. And this is a pretty big bill when you look at it because Neil Young is backed by Booker T and the MGs. That is obviously an important thing for the history of Pearl Jam. And then opening the whole entire show is the first band. You know, they have a massive hit. They're turning into one of the more popular bands at that time. Blind Melon opens up this show. Could have been the inspiration for B-Girl. Maybe they came up with that on this night. Highly possible. It's highly possible. But, like, that's a pretty good bill. And then when you look at the time that Pearl Jam got for this show, I think it must have been agreed upon that Neil said, all right, these guys... You know, they're popular and they need to get time out there. It's only 16 songs, but 16 songs and just under 90 minutes for an opener band. That's really good, especially with an encore thrown in. I've never seen an opening band get like a designated encore before. That's very, very rare. And you know what? That would come back later on because those shows, I believe, the ones they did in like Denver and Milwaukee while opening up for Tom Petty, I believe they had encores there too. They were more established then. This is still 1993. Like, I mean, Versus isn't even out yet. And like, they're still just got the one album on their back. And like, that's nearly unheard of. That's a big sign of respect from Neil. Oh, yeah. And it seemed like around this time that Neil had firmly taken them under his wing and kind of shown them the ropes and almost kind of molded them from being very immature kind of band during the 10 years. And then once the versus years hit, like he's helping them mature into a true rock and roll band that can hold their own live, but also are mature enough to conduct themselves in such a manner with the media and kind of with the frenzy going on that they become not just a beloved band, but a respectable band too. This show here is actually, when you think about what the bill is from Blind Melon to Pearl Jam to Neil, especially Neil in Canada, this seems to have undersold. It sold 15000 in a in a cavernous football stadium. That just feels really low for a legend and one of the hottest bands on the planet and also another band that can hold their own very well. And And I wonder... Was it just the wrong place at, at, at the wrong time? Or was it a bunch of Neil fans that said, I don't want to sit through Pearl Jam? Was it Pearl Jam fans that didn't realize that this was a Neil show? I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what made this so poorly attended, as some of these articles say. Yeah, probably just the wrong venue, too. I mean, Neil Young in 1993, I mean, yes, he's a legend, but... His career, I don't think, was in a great resurgence in 1993. Like, you know, Mirrorball. Are you sure about that? Because um, Harvest Moon came out the year before. I thought that that was the resurgence for him. But even then, is that really going to get the casual fan to go see Neil Young in a stadium? I don't know. I mean, from what the reviews that we have, it feels like a lot of the crowd was more the younger type of fan. I don't know that this maybe was the draw because you can tell, I mean, we're going to talk about what, you know, the very first thing that Ed says when he comes out on stage, but it sounds like very echoey. It almost feels like you're listening to like a sound check from a stadium show from like a few years ago. Like it's got that feel to it. I had to double check like, is this a sound check? Like, is this the show? Like, you can hear the empty seats in this. It's very, very obvious. 
All right, well, I got nothing else on this. I think we can just jump right in, and yeah, yeah. the way that we're going to do it, again, it's 16 songs, so won't be here too long, but it starts off with some weird kind of spacey intro music to take the stage to. And then Ed asks, how you doing? And then he says this. Well, looks like this place sucks. But we've been watching you guys, and you guys don't, so I think it's all between us, all right? There's a new song, let's do this thing. assessing the moment here and he sees that this place is not filled and he doesn't seem pleased but he's just like whatever what the fuck let's just go for it and then going right into some new songs too like starting off with River Mirror which nobody in that audience had heard before I'm sure and then they're gonna plaster some of these new songs well into the set later on that it just feels like almost an experience experiment show in that way where they feel as though since they aren't playing to a big massive crowd that they don't necessarily have to hit them with the big stuff the whole entire way right and 15,000 people is still nothing to shake a stick at like that's about what they draw in an arena in some places now like you get that in a basketball arena or a hockey arena then you're going to have a great time but from what we know, this is a football stadium, probably seats 45, 50, 60,000, I'm guessing. So, yeah, maybe a fourth to a third full, I would guess. And yeah, he comes out and just not taking any prisoners right away. Like, just gonna, here we go. Looks like this place sucks, but here's a new song. Let's do this. And, I mean, Rear Mirror, yeah, there is a little lyric mix up early. Not a big deal. Again, one of the first times the song's been performed, only the 16th time. But still a, a great version and a great way to open up the show. Is this the first time Rearview Mirror had opened the show? I think it might be. It might be. I don't have the full stats on that. That could have happened at one of the small European festival shows, too. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say like a Norway or something like that. It might no, have this, was, this, this, was this was the first, the first one. one. Okay, this yep. is the first yep. one. And it happened from time to time in 1993, 1994. I think it's yeah. like a total of 10 times that they yep. opened with it. So I actually, I love it. I love it opening a show, especially, look, if you're going to do it the way they do it now, it's a firm set closer because you have big elevated moments with the bridge and the big ending, but this song isn't at that stage just yet. Obviously, the majority, if not all, members of the crowd have not heard this song before, so they don't have to do anything big on the bridge it's barely even a bridge at all it's practically nothing but i think it's just in the drive and how the song just elevates into the end 
and you hear Ed and you hear Ed just go for it and that's what this song was about at the time. I think it might be because you're not recognizing this as an opener very often that it just takes you by a little bit of surprise. Once you get to the roller coaster aspect of this song, it takes you for a ride and you're like, okay, this is the show. We're in on the show now. But yeah, they could have done this more. This could have been a thing back then and wouldn't even bat an eye. Like, this sounded really good, I thought. I think it's one of the highlights of the night. And this is, of course, Ed playing guitar on it. And you don't want to come out and do something slow where it's not going to feel like a big moment if the place is more than half empty. So you want to come out with something like this, something new with some energy. Ed's playing guitar, get that going and just get everybody into it right away. And Rearview Mirror, even in this kind of embryonic stage, the pre versus release, is still gonna do that. It's still got that energy and can do that. Yeah, it's still a great performance. A different kind of life early into the set and, and away we go. We're gonna go into 310 songs right after that. Even Flow, Why Go, and Deep. Just great energy that Even Flow has. And I, I love this version, especially the groove. The groove really checks in. I'm going to get to some good Dave A points in the show that I think were turnoffs for you in last show. I think he does everything that you want him to do in this show that maybe you said was a little bit too much of what we were listening to in the Vegas show. And I thought Even Flow was just the perfect groove for the time. And the vocals sounded great, but... Look, the flashiness on this mic solo just reminds me of the best of what he can do now. You're getting that very, very early in 1993. It's not the longest solo. It's not going to be anything close to what he pulls out night after night on tour. But this feels like it's more modern day than most other even flow solos that you get from 93. Hmm. Okay. It starts out a little more bluesy, so you get that kind of early 90s feel to it. But I, I hear what you're saying. All in all, like, yeah, a really loose version of Ethan Flow, and that's down to Stone. I mean, these early 90s versions, I mean, we talk about it every single time. It's Stone driving that rhythm and the pace of it, and, yeah, he's at his best doing that. It says we played City Smaller Than This, but we're here, so why go home, huh? And, you know, why go in this situation probably isn't going to constitute those big-time hey chants that we were getting at all those shows the last couple weeks. So it was a little bit lacked on that, but... This is, again, totally in the pocket. It's not all outbursting speed, but Mike Solo, very echoey, kind of go along with that cavernous sound of being outdoors. And it's kind of like being played on a mountaintop where everybody can hear you, but it just sort of feels empty as well. It's a little weird. Maybe it's the sound of the room, which you can definitely hear, but didn't really have the punch and the power behind it that some of these versions have had the last few weeks. You hear a lot of echo in deep. That's the one where I yeah, thought, yeah. okay, this feels really empty. And especially like they kind of lay off a little bit during the Christmas clean love. And it feels like when Ed is doing some of the hollers here that like, again, he's kind of screaming into the void a little bit. And as they kind of devolve into chaos, it's great. It feels unwieldy. And Dave is really tearing a hole into his kit. But then again, like just hearing that and not hearing and not feeling what you get out of a crowd 
it's just kind of unexpected, especially from a song like this. But I like the little underwater mic sound effect that he's doing before all the chaos hits there. I think the three ten songs in a row and like all kind of those side A ten songs, I think that was done after Rivier Mirror to like, okay, we know that was one that you didn't know, but here's some that you know. And like I don't know that deep following why go and even flow, I think it's just maybe a little bit overkill there. I would have liked to have gone back to like the go animal combo that's gonna come later out of maybe push that up and given this settle more energy because it just feels like too much of that same thing early on, maybe. You go back to 1993 and every show from Lollapalooza was <laughs> even yeah. flow, why go deep? I believe that might have even been Pink Pop, but deep isn't on the Pink Pop video, so we'll never really know that. But a lot of time to get the upright bass set up here as we're going to get into Glorified G and Daughter. And it says we're going to play some new songs so you won't have to wait till the record comes out. He addresses the new songs almost every time he's about to play one. And one that we'll get to later isn't necessarily a new one, as you would all know. But that's later in the set. We're now getting into Glorified G, Daughter. Daughter is interesting because it feels like when the song starts, there's a guy in the background that sort of seems to know it and says something about the acoustic version. So I wonder, was he either at bridge school or perhaps got a bootleg of it? Like, he seems to know this song. Maybe he's a Neil Young guy and went to bridge school and sure heard the song. Yeah, I can see that. Just something that you weren't really expecting from this era yeah. at all. Yeah. What'd you feel about this little section here with the two songs again? Every single week, they're back to back together. The moments where Jeff has to sit down and gets a little edgy in the chair a little bit, but we do get the first ever real me tag off of Daughter. That's going back to last week where we got one during the Vegas show, but another interdultery kind of moment where he's just screaming out those lyrics and even the band taking the tempo down, just letting Ed just go all out and giving him the platform. Yeah, that's a total bedroom 14-year-old moment for him. Glorified G, honestly, I'm a little burned out on. Could use a break from Glorified G. A lot of same-sounding versions. I thought, I mean, Dave is fine on it. But it's kind of the little brother to daughter here. It's only there because they have to tie them in together with the instrumentation. But yeah, the real me tag is another big highlight from this show. You can tell like it's just perfectly in his element there. How about Alive and then Black? How about that? Yeah, I like that. I think one of these shows had this combination. Again, that's very like, Lollapalooza. Yeah, it feels like we haven't done very many Blacks. This was a welcome sight here. Yeah, I think they did not do it in November, but it was definitely slowed down more than some other 10 songs. You wonder why, but again, Black... And the attitude of black wasn't exactly what they were going for. So I, I get it, but it deserves to be there. Before Alive, Ed says, I love you prior to the riff. And then you get into it more and more and more. And there's so much electricity on this song. Again, another week for 1993. And this song is still just on such a high plateau here. 
Oh, yeah, the I love you, is he getting into character of the alive from the Mamasan, or is he just talking to the relatively sparse crowd? Like, I didn't know which it was, or maybe both. Yeah, I was kind of thinking if I were to attach it to anything, it would be what he would say before Leash. And he says, like, this song is for me and anybody else who hates their parents. And I wonder if that's him being facetious. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does the to fuck you line in a lie, which always gets a little bit of a rise out of the crowd. I think that was referenced in one of the reviews as well. It was like, oh, he learned that if you say fuck into a microphone, you'll get the crowd on your side. But yeah, good version of lie. But yeah, Black, I thought was really, really good. Mike, especially. And then the We Belong Together tag. Very, very cool as well. This has my favorite part of Black from this era, where the band just lays out for Ed to sing the chorus. I love when you can kind of isolate vocals, when you can isolate vocals and you can isolate also the instrumentation of the song, the riffs, the melody, whatever, and have it be a little bit different than what you usually hear because, you know, I talk about it, I love hearing just the rearview mirror riff go over and over and over and play on a loop almost. And the same thing with Black. I just love to hear just Ed singing with nothing behind him because, again, it's just more vulnerable for the song that's already extremely vulnerable. And now it kind of gets you to a point where the song feels empty and you really kind of feel that despair that brings into the song. I wish they would have done that much more than just this little piece in time because that really worked for what Black was. Yeah, it's an interesting time for Black. This might be one of the only runs that Black is not the ultimate highlight. I mean, I would say I don't think this is a hot take. It's probably the last couple of years it's been their best live song. So they'll find a place for it very shortly in the coming years. It's going to be more featured. We do get a We Belong Together tag on this, but little things that are from the Unplugged that they kept and hung over for a couple of years at that point, like the angry kids of play line, they weren't using that here. They kind of did it a little bit more subdued. But every now and again, they will go back to the exact unplugged version because that's exactly what people remember. That's the black, maybe for a lot of people, the majority, the first time they heard it. So they go back to that enough, but not in this one. Just the We Belong Together tag has that connection to unplugged and not the full thing. Ed says before going into Animal and Go, so one of you fuckers going to stage dive? I bet you're waiting for me to do it, right? Fuck you. Let's rock out tonight. Here's another new one. Yeah, that's got to be a response to the last time that they were in Vancouver where he actually did it. And again, he's not doing a lot of stage dive stuff in 1993. Kind of seemed to have ended after the drop in the park show. I think after that, it was yeah. like, Ed, stop. You had your moment. That's enough. We don't want a dead lead singer here. <laughs> and in a football stadium, too, there's probably like a barricade and they're separated. This isn't like, yeah. I don't think they're close enough to do that. I think he's just fucking with them at this point. Animals coming off the big video music award performance here. Many folks in this crowd remember hearing it two nights prior. 
And since new songs were in such high demand at that point, they've heard some already at the show from River Mirror to Daughter and Glorified G. And they have to, while these songs are going on, like, hey, will they go back to that song they played the other night? Will they go back to Animal? And now another school of thought here could be, well, does Vancouver actually get the MTV Music Video Awards? Because they are based in Canada and that's much music territory over there. So I don't know. I don't I know. I think they probably have they probably have Seattle cable. They're close enough. That's probably Yeah. Yeah, but again, like unless you had it and multiple yeah. people probably hit record on that videotape right away and yeah. ran that thing to the ground, but you would think that Animal would be the one where everyone's like, "Yeah, this is the one we want to hear." Like they're still on a high from it from that performance and I won't even see the, say the crowd at this point, but you can tell the band is still on a high from this performance. Like they come right out of the gates with it, and it's roaring. And again, I'm gonna point out Dave A because this is the one that you said from last week. I thought he had a lot more poise on this and a lot less grandiose. I thought Dave A yes. sounded excellent on this. Yeah, I agree. I think they're definitely feeling the effects of the couple of nights before and the hangover on it in a good way. Yeah, that didn't get any of the negative stuff on this one. Now that you played it, bump it up in the set. Give it a moment for people to latch on to early on. I would have loved to have seen this, even as an opener instead of Ruby Mirror. Like, just come out and just blow doors with it right away. But yeah, you can tell the band is loving it. Go, obviously, is the follow-up on that, and they take a little time before getting into it, and if you are just savvy with these riffs sometimes, you can hear it, and there is a little bit of a dun-dun-dun-dun-dun right before getting into Go, and I think that was a little outshine that Mike was Oh, yeah. There's something before that, too. There was another tease of something that I couldn't place it. He does nothing to it. Maybe some kind of metal thing or some kind of ACDC thing. I couldn't tell, but there's definitely something else before outshined. Mid-set go can be really tough sometimes, but Animal being the one that they wanted to hear, it was a good follow-up in that retrospect. Yeah, I mean, it feels at this point like it would be weird to not get go with Animal. But yeah, absolutely smokes. I mean, Animal's probably the one that has the most energy but goes right there too. Jeremy's being played here, getting to your big, big hit. We're getting to another one kind of like Black where it's 1993. They do specific things here. The big, aggressive, daddy-didn't-give-affection line is hammered down at full force. Jeremy's always going to get a huge reaction, too, whether it's 15,000 people or 50,000 people. Jeremy is always going to fill the room with that. You can tell the crowd is doing their job on this, more so than other songs. And it really felt like on those little hoo-hoos at the, at the end, going hoo-hoo and all that, that sounded like an owl. It felt like when you're hearing Ed do that, you hear Dave A in the background very constant with that kick drum beat. Almost like a hair quicker 
than the song, but it seems to work somehow. I think we have to call that part the owl part now, oh. um, based on your lovely rendition there. That, well, that, usually he does these. Yeah, it, 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 no, it's the owl part now. I'm going to refer to it like that every time. But yeah, I mean, the little speak scream is great. I mean, that's the intensity that you want out of Jeremy. But the real highlight is the quote afterwards. By the way, MTV Awards are made of plastic. This sauce for, uh, for me and anyone else who hates their parents is called Drop the Leash. Well, I've never had an MTV award in my life, so I can't attest to that, but I can see Viacom being a really, really cheap organization and creating, and, you know, look, they still have the Video Music Awards. Every time September rolls around and they talk about video music, I'm like, I get that they still make music videos and everything, but you can't have a music video awards when you don't have even an hour show a week dedicated to playing music videos. Just horseshit. I I just don't understand. Again, it's pomp and circumstance. Like the award show never meant anything to begin with, but at least it was fun to kind of check it out. And some of the green day stuff in the midnight was was really funny, but it was like a reverent and like, now it's just, who cares? I mean, it's for 12 year olds for anybody that likes gossip. Uh, the same artists probably win every year, right? Who knows? I don't ask me. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't speak on it, but I know that from this get off my cloud moment that I'm having here, you should not be having music video awards. If you're not invested in music videos, have really? a Why? stinking sh- real housewives awards. They should have ended this 20 years ago. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Drop the Leash, Drop the Leash. He has introduced this song a lot as Drop the Leash around this time. I wonder, kind of in the way that Go was supposed to be called <laughs> Don't Go, I wonder if this was originally supposed to be Drop the Leash. And uh, then, I bet it was. I bet it's those one-word titles. They, had to, they had loved to, it. Had to do those one-word titles. Yep. That's right. And it's kind of funny because most of the songs to that point, aside from like little stuff, and, and even Flo and Why Go, they're so they're kind of condensed where it's not like a phrase or anything like that. It doesn't feel like they're that much more, but it felt like everything was like, go animal daughter and then on and on. And then once you get to elderly woman, it's like kind of a slap in the face. Like (laughs) now you got to say all these words. So I wonder if that was kind of, I don't know, just sort of the humor that they had. And it was like, all right, let's cut all these song titles short and then leave elderly woman for the end. Yeah, I think he talked about that on the Rockland thing, too. It was like, oh, we were just kind of fed up with one-word titles. Yeah. What'd you think of this performance? It sounded like he was peaking a little bit here, but also that didn't really matter because the attitude was there. And it's been a while where I've considered Leash to feel like an anthemic kind of song. And although this is not close to the best version of Leash I've ever heard, feels like something that you can get behind it feels like it's got some angst behind it and obviously when you're introing it saying i I hate my parents 
I thought this had very anthemic qualities, even in this cavernous football stadium. It seemed like it kind of had this big presence. I mean, yeah, it gets the end of set bump, I guess, where they want to go out with a bang and kind of put a little extra oomph behind it. The interesting thing to me is, like, this is the 68th performance of Leash. The previous one from a couple of weeks before, I think in one of the shows in Europe, was the exact halfway point of the Leash performances. So as current in 2023, Leash has only been played 134 times, so the previous one was exactly halfway through Leash's history. Now we're already in, 19, already in 1993, we're on the back half of Leash performances. <laughs> well, I think it was the same with Alone, right? It was Alone? Yeah. That we yeah. talked about last week. I think it was, yep. it was either close or what, but... Yeah. Oh, weird decisions this band makes sometimes. So Ed says, you guys have fun with Neil. We'll see you next time, but not here. So if you need to know how they felt about the place they were playing, that yep. should explain it all. I had to get in one last zinger. They are going to come back and do a couple more, but we are going to pause for station identification because it is the encore break. And let's talk about a bunch of things. Now, with this episode this week, we're going to try to get a bunch more episodes out this week as well. It's going to be hard to do it all i think and find the time to do it all but if we can manage it then we can get it through so here's the idea these are all patreon exclusive episodes that i'm going to give to you right here the evolution of indifference is just about ready at this point that we're recording this and hopefully by the end of the week it'll be out it'll be ready you guys be able to listen to it and again the evolution episodes are some of the things that people go directly to Patreon for. And a lot of people say it's the best thing that we do over there. We take a song and look at its entire live history and try to tell the story of how it started and where it sort of got to develop and where it became a fan favorite and all that. And Indifference has a very... I wouldn't say almost typical Pearl Jam story, but he has little things that makes it unique on its own. You know, you got to think of the Ben Harper moments and that is kind of seen as a turning point from the MSG shows in 98. And then again in 2003 to where it was a song that went head to head with Ledbetter for years and years and years and did not get enough plays because Ledbetter was closing so many shows. So once you got to a certain point, it became like a true rarity. And then Ben Harper plays it with the band. It seems like it's getting more and more attention and the crowd is feasting on it a little bit more. And then it becomes the song at the end of the night where the house lights are up and it becomes a celebratory moment. So yeah, that's like the cliff notes of that evolution episode. But if you want to listen to that, that's going to be either tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Wednesday or the next day, it's going to be very, very soon. Now that is content piece. Number one content piece. Number two, 
I've been meaning to do this for about a week now, but things got in the way, obviously. Jonathan Cohen's uncut interview with us will also be on Patreon. Don't know a date for that. I'm going to try to push it all in this week, see what we can do, but I can't promise anything. But the whole interview that we did with him was excellent. I think that deserves to be listened to. If you like listening to smart people talk about good things about Pearl Jam and some insight, then he is definitely maybe the best person to talk to that's not related in the band's camp. And then the third episode, we actually have a brand new hallucinogenic recipe episode that's out that is kind of a tie-in to 1993, because they're going to be talking about those November bootlegs and some of their favorite stuff and some of the stories from that. So three episodes in one week, and then we're going to get to talking about what's going to happen next week. And maybe we'll have another episode next week. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. It's the end of the year. We're putting together all our best stuff. The best of piece will be out next week. Top 33 songs of the 2023 tour. Yeah, 33. We will explain it all in the article, but we're going to count them all down and we're going to kind of share a lot of the stories. Now, I want to single out a couple of people because they were specifically part of the story. So as a lot of people know, we did the interview with Joaquin Zewintaneo, and he comes back and he'll tell his story again for the piece. Jason Aaron in Chicago, his daughter got a shout out during a wish list. So he's writing something up and I think we'll hear from his nine-year-old daughter as well, which is going to be awesome. Monica, who had the journal before Better Man in Austin, she wrote something incredible. That's going to be amazing. How about Matt? who had the severed hand that he threw on stage. That's a really, really good story. So it's people that are intertwined within how everything developed this year that get to tell you how it all kind of ended up there. So I'm excited to share this with people. I think this is going to be really, really cool. Going back to last year when we did the 100 best moments, obviously we weren't going to do that many this year, but it's just one of the best things I love just reliving everything and all the stories that people have to tell and learning all these new stories too. And this is coming straight from people that just experience this stuff. It's very, very cool. It'll be real fun to go back and kind of revisit that a few months out, you know, kind of build you up towards the excitement of a new record and a tour next year. And as we will share a little bit later, the next thing that we're working on for next week is going to be 2023 in Chicago. So that all ties in very well. But going back, I don't think I ever gave the info for Patreon. You guys should all go over there and all sign up. It's patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and after you're finished reading that article next week of the best of 2023, just click the patron button, become a patron, and all those three episodes I mentioned before will be at your fingertips. And if you join on the Giggle Leg tier, the Horizon Leg tier, you'll get an episode request. So keep that stuff in mind. It's all great stuff. And the only thing I have left to say right here is that next week, next Thursday on the 14th, that is our big holiday party. We're going to do some fun things, obviously exchange the gifts from the Secret Santa, but also we're going to play a little bit of a game show thing that we got going. I'm working on some guests. I don't know how confident I feel about it, but I'm working on it at least. 
And we'll work on some live performances from some of our friends in the community as well. So yeah, I might have I might have something worked up. We'll see. Well, you see, I put it out there on our social medias that I was uh, gonna be the kazoo player on tour, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if because I, I don't know if the band has given me permission or not. I have, I have to find this out. I, I don't know if I have permission to share some of the new album with you guys. But hey, don't don't do that. We're gonna get so many emails. Don't don't do that. But you know, I'm the official kazooist. And I also have a triangle, and I can also do, I don't know, like a kid's tambourine or xylophone or something like that. Like, there's a lot. And, and they use all these sounds. And, and Josh Klinghoffer called me. He's like, go for it. Those are all yours. I will See? take everything mm-hmm. else. Like, he, he said, don't take the bassoon. He's all over the bassoon. I respect that. But I, I don't know. If, if it's cool with Ed and, and, and the guys and Andrew and all that, like... Uh. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I feel See, like I, you guys deserve to hear the first snippet of the record. It's just gonna just he's just setting up a rickroll. We're all gonna get rickrolled. What's rickroll again? Exactly, Rick Ross. What? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, all of that good stuff will be happening at the Christmas party. The Christmas party is going to be over Zoom. Anybody can attend. The Zoom link will be posted to our Facebook group on the Pearl Jam podcast community group over there. Or if you're not on social media and you're interested in joining, then please send an email to live on four lengths podcast at gmail.com. I'll post it to Patreon as well for all the patrons out there, but would love to have you there. It's a big celebration. It's just celebrating you guys because the fans are who matters in the situation. So anyway, that is what's going on over there. Now we got to go and get back to what's going on over here, which is over here is 30 years ago. So let's get back into the rock. It says we're all here and we're just going to keep going. They got more time in their hands. They're going to play four more. And the first one is going to be once. Now, I thought that the beginning of Rear Mirror was like very fuzzy. And it sounds like once kind of starts off a little fuzzy as well. I don't know if that's just the way that the guitars are prepped, but the whole song doesn't sound like that. I don't know. It was a little, it was a little weird because you just never hear Stone's guitar have that sound. Not even clean, not distorted, but just fuzz complete sort of staticky huh maybe that contributed to my i won't say dislike that's that strong but this my indifference if you will towards this version i just like what is this doing here why come out and start an encore with once that makes no sense well because it's a song that opens the album and people like it it's it's sometimes it doesn't have to be that difficult yeah, but they only did like half of verses here. You left blood on the table. You left rats on the table. Like they could have come out and done something really cool here. But once I thought just kind of fell flat. I'm not disagreeing. Like it was fine. I think it had some decent intensity on it. But like compared to the intensity of what you're going to get in Sonic Producer and especially in Fuck It Up and absolutely in Porch, it doesn't hold that weight. But I also think that you're coming out and you want your crowd to kind of know these songs that you're finishing the night with and ending your main set with leash was kind of a way of saying like, okay, this was a set for those versus songs. We played six of them here 
And now we're going to give you some more of what you know. Like, I, I don't think, especially at that moment in time where the record wasn't out yet, I, I, I don't think that the crowd would have wanted to hear much more than they did off the new record. Well, I don't know. It's just a weird, like, all the intangible things. The venue, the opening up, to coming out with, do an encore as an opening band. It's just a lot of weird intangible things that don't really make sense. Makes it hard to make heads or tails of it. All right, well, how about a little Sonic Reducer? That always puts you in a good mood. Yeah, it was, it was cool. John out of that? A little bit, a little bit, a little better. This makes more sense. Like, yeah, come out and do something fun. Like, give the crowd something they're not used to hearing. Give them something special. Like, yeah, makes a little more sense. And the band sounded like they were having more fun with it, too. Have I ever waxed poetic about how much I love the stone backing vocals on the song? Uh, yeah, it's all great. Yeah. Oh, just like that falsetto that he has with it. It just sounds incredible. Yeah. yeah, this was so much fun. And I was thinking back to tying it in with the VMAs because the year before that, when they did Jeremy at the VMAs, they wanted to do Sonic Reducer was their choice until the record company and obviously MTV begged them to do the hit and kind of led to that performance of Jeremy that was super super angsty and intense but yeah I kind of wanted to get to this point about Sonic Reducer because it had been a year since they had that moment where they were trying to play it then and then since then it became pretty much a staple in the set and granted Wars were sort of broken up. They were finishing off on Lollapalooza and had a couple of random, like, Hawaii shows and then, like, the New Year's Eve show and then the stuff that happened very early on, like the Missoula and Slims and a couple other places. But Sonic Reducer had been played 17 times after the VMAs in what I counted as 35 shows that they had before getting to this one. That's pretty good they were on this one that's basically half right there so yeah, it was on the on the christmas single too in 92 right yeah 1993 i think whenever you think of covers for specific eras i think that 1993 to me is the sonic reducer era of covers and again it's powerful it's got some pop to it and the song's just ripped apart tons of bite and then it does some random dog growling at the end when it starts to kind of devolve into a little bit of chaos so if you like ed growling like a dog then uh, this version of sonic is for you i suppose
Ed says here we're going to play a song that was written by a Canadian, the same Canadian that's playing here tonight, and you get fucking up. Now, we talked about the 1992 versions of Rockin' in the Free World for a while and how brutally intense those were, where you got those just pounding drums in the intro and it put a new intensity into the song that took away from the Neil traditional stomp. And that's kind of what they seemed to do with Neil's songs at this time to make it their own. They brought in the 90s angst and kind of shook them up a little bit. And it kind of got me to think, I love this version of Fucking Up. I think it's going to come back on my list. But it got me to think, thinking of the Neil Young song, that again has that stump and is a little bit more kind of open and just progresses a little more instead of Pearl Jam's versions. But with a song called Fucking Up, shouldn't it be angry? Shouldn't it have this angst to it? Like, I feel Pearl Jam might have seen that and said, again, with the whole cursing thing and the cursing bit that you said before that came from Alive, it's just a way that they can add more cursing into the set and get an aggression out with that and i wonder if that's a reason obviously you want to play a song called fucking up because it's funny but bringing their version to the table as opposed to a version that sounds closer to neil feels like it was appropriate for this it's good but it should be mentioned too like this is usually a terrible idea to cover the band that you're opening for like that is a known faux pas like do not do that when you're the opening band like don't come out and cover the band that's headlining that's a huge mistake like 99.9% of the time this is really the only time that this really works and that with Neil Young having got 30 years of history already at this point almost the relationship that they have they can say hey we know that you're not going to do this song tonight he's touring with the MGs they're not going to do fucking up so he's like we're going to do this one and give people kind of a tease but yeah, normally this is a terrible idea, but somehow it works. Have you ever been to a show where the opening man did that? Oh no, they would be crucified. I have been to one. Now, granted, I think it's like even playing field here, because the bands were Weezer and the Foo Fighters. So... Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like some up-and-coming band that's just like, oh, we're going to do uh, Everlong. It was... Weezer kind of doing a tongue-in-cheek version of Big Me. Sure. And yeah. you get that, because like that's something that Weezer would do. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's a little bit of an homage, a little bit of a professional courtesy, but yeah, normally a terrible idea. Speaking of that, on this performance, though, you just hear again, like a, just like a dog growl, a snarl from Ed in this version, and he taps into something pretty feral, and when I think about Fuck It Up, you know, it's such a rarity at the time. They'd only do it one more time before holding on to it at the Orpheum. But I want to think about these kind of versions where they're able to just go balls to the wall with it. I thought that this was excellent. All right. Ed notices it's getting a little darker, getting a little better. Are you all right? We've been here before. Was anybody at the Plaza show? Before that, it was the Town Pump. We'll play it again, maybe tonight. What did they play that night? Because there is a little bit of a story out there that they ended up going back to Seattle and playing a show. We don't really have much information on it, but, you know, the yeah, hear, the, the, the Rendezvous Club, evidently, which is probably just a little bar somewhere. 
It's one of those things where, yeah, you know, you get back in the van, it's 20 or 30 minutes. It's like, hey, we, we got all this shit, let's just go play somewhere. Show up at this bar and be like, hey, uh, do you mind if we set up and play? Like, oh yeah, Pearl Jam's here, they're gonna play for the, you know, for the 25 or 30 people at the bar at 1am or whatever. Like, yeah, super cool, wish I had been there. I would be surprised if they played any Pearl Jam songs, aside right. from maybe, like, one verse of song they didn't play earlier that night. Right. Maybe they like, did some improvs. I, I could see that. Yeah. I could see some improvs being worked on. Yeah, like doing probably, I would say, you know, maybe Dissonant or Rats or something. Like, hard to imagine, maybe. Or just Detroit Rock City or fucking whatever. Like, you know, break out the covers. I would guess that another homage to Neil would have been made. They would have played Rocket in the Free World. Or, yeah. or hell, maybe they just did the VMAs all over again, did Animal right. Rocket in the Free World, because that's probably what people wanted but probably think they probably did maybe four or five songs that's probably it yeah not much more than that yeah that's probably why it hasn't been really documented or talked about but one two three four porch what'd you think of this version it was all over the place but in all the best ways yeah i mean it just screaming fuck at the end of it is quite the listen i mean that's worth the price of admission alone that that made it for me doing it kind of over like this screeching sound and it feels like it's getting to a fever pitch at a point and as that keeps growing and that keeps building it starts to get angrier and angrier and it's really cool it's fun and then the ending kind of delves down it, it takes a little while before it finds its way back to where porch goes into the last chorus and the final parts of the song but it's cool like you hear stone doing a little wah-wah pedal like kind of bending those notes like that wow 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 like a little bit of that and that's a little different ed talks a little bit over it and he's telling people to take care of themselves and then he's kind of mumbling and they play up the drama pretty big hitting up that big moment and there's this heavy drum pounding circus before that big final chord strum and it was yeah show-stopping kind of performance it was very good yeah, this is one that, like, you get the sense, like, that whole encore was, like, leading up to this. It almost didn't matter about once in Song of It was all about this version of Porch, that this is what they were waiting for. All right, well, that was the 16-song show right there. Now we got to pick three moments from it, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting, because I'm a little, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go with this. Why don't you go first so I can figure it out? Yeah, yeah. My number three is going to be Rearview Mirror. My number two is Black. And my number one is Animal. I'm going to say 
that my number three is going to be, let's go with River Mirror for number three. And I'm going to go number two. I'm going to go with Leash, actually, because I just kind of felt the sense of it being an anthem. And again, like we kind of mentioned, it was on the back end already, and you wouldn't get that feel much anymore after this. So I like that aspect. And I think number one, it's fucking up for me. I really dug this version. It's something that's very unique. And the way that they play it with all the angst and all that and all the power, like it's not like in 1998 where the live on two legs version, where it's just immaculate, but it's befitting for the time. And that's what I liked about it. So, well, now we got to rate this and I don't have a very good feeling that you're going to be too friendly with this one, but you know, crazier things have happened. Yeah, it's tough because a, it just doesn't sound good. Like, you can't listen to this without hearing the venue empty and knowing that that's playing a part in the show. You know, that happens sometimes that there's intangibles and other stuff that happens and you, they push through it and there's still great moments and everything, but I don't really think there's anything here to go back to, really. This gets a four and a half from me. <laughs> that is just, the lowest. I just, I just can't. It doesn't get the recommendation. That is the lowest score outside of the Mad Era. <laughs> uh, I won't do it that dirty. But one thing I will say, obviously, you know, elephant in the room, we did not have Javier on this podcast today because in talking with him beforehand, he's like, I don't really got much. I don't really got anything to say on this. It's 1993, and I told him, you know what? Go warm up for 2023 next week in Chicago. We, I think we're going to try to get him on the Night 2 episode, because obviously we were together for that show. So that would be great to have him on for that and get the full take of what he heard. But he didn't even have a single thing he wanted to say. I kind of had one thing, like, do you want to mention this? And he's like, if you want me to. And I said, you know what? Honestly, I want to get done with this edit fast. So no, save it. We'll do it another week. So... I hate to think that this was just a throwaway episode, but I also have told you guys thousands and thousands of times that moving was very difficult, and I was sick as I moved, and I had some issues with things in the new house, like the sewage system was backed up, and that affected the HVAC, well, and like, never, I'm never a good sign. I'm exhausted, and I guess if we were doing a good show, I wouldn't have brought that much better energy into a good show anyway. But next week, it's going to be all good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be maybe one of the best shows we do this year. I'm just going to predict that now because it is, as you're going to tell, it's it's a great show. I'm going to give this a six. Yeah, that's, that's, that's generous, really all generous. But you know okay. what? Like... Some of the performances sound good if you take away, you know, them playing into an empty-ish uh, arena. Yeah, then yeah. Gotta add that qualifier to it. I suppose, but yeah, not anything special. Again, this was kind of a buffer to give me a little bit of space before I felt comfortable moving it. And, and, also, and hey, we've, we've gotten Vancouver down. We've gotten yes. one out of 12 is down. So the next one, we can go onwards and upwards. And we were supposed to do 2013, so imagine if we still had this on the schedule, we probably wouldn't have gotten this out on time. So what would you rather have? Uh, yeah. 
an episode not out on time or an episode that didn't quite have what Pearl Jam is known for on the live stage. And granted, we have to do them all. We have to do True. every single one at some point. And there are going to be shows like this. There just are, especially from this kind of era. That festivals from 1992 and 1993 that might not be up to snuff. And yeah, it happens. So yeah, like even even the band, like they had to go play another show the same night to get this taste out of their mouths. I guess you could say that, yeah. So yeah. all right. Well, it's just another check mark in the big board that I can't wait. We're gonna have to update the big board very, very soon. I'm working on it. Working on it. That Excellent. might be that might be the Zoom party. Stay awesome. Tuned. Oh, can't wait. If you tune in for anything on the Zoom party, tune in for that. But you'll need to do a little bit of an extension because we are covering our first 2023 show next week, and we'll be doing that to finish off the year. The following week, we're going to do back-to-back weeks of the Chicago shows. And I got finished with writing a couple things for that Best Of article about two of the moments. And... I realized, like, I even realized in that moment how powerful that show was. I recognized the whole thing, even more so than sitting in the crowd for MSG in 2010, where you kind of know that something big is going on. Like, you lose yourself in the moment a little bit, but also you're able to see the weight of it. And I can't wait to talk about this because it's so fresh in my head. All the stories are fresh, and I just absolutely love this show to the point where I, at some point in my life, I'm going to have to decide if it's my favorite show or not. So whether or not I make that choice next week will be remain to be seen, but we are going to be doing the night one Chicago from this year, a much more listened to episode. I can guarantee than this Vancouver episode, but again, thank you for sitting through some of these 1993 shows, getting going animal back to back and glorified G and daughter back to back. That was the era five in a row was probably a little too much, but you know, it's about telling the stories and hopefully we shared some good ones for you guys, but now we're really going to get back into the thick of things and finish off the year really strong. So night one Chicago from this year, next week can't wait. All right. Well, If you like this episode, for some reason, there are things to like about every episode, yeah. Then, please feel free to subscribe on the platform that you're listening to. Hopefully, it is Apple or Spotify. Those are the two big ones. But if it's anything else, it doesn't matter. Subscribe. Subscribe on SoundCloud. Subscribe anywhere else. I don't know a lot of other smaller podcast platforms. But if they're out there, please make sure that you're seeing the updates. And if you do... Subscribe on the big platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Then make sure that you give us a little bit of a rating and let us know what you think about the show. We think that we deserve the five stars. This wasn't really a five-star episode at all, but you know what? We've done a couple of them, so I think if you go back and you listen, if this is your first show for whatever reason, then you'll see that there's some really good material out there. But... If you are interested in also leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts and letting the people know that are looking for a Pearl Jam podcast to listen to, that we have what they might be looking for in covering their shows and reliving some memories, then please feel free to leave that comment 
And people that are looking for podcasts, maybe they'll give it that click. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe it'll be for next week's episode where they're like, ah, I went to that show this year. I want to relive everything from that moment and and kind of get it back and see what they have to say about it. Maybe it's that. And if it is, then fantastic. If it's this episode, then fantastic. It doesn't matter. Somebody is always going to be drawn to something if they have an attachment to it. And we just want to be able to tell those stories right so if you think we do leave us the comment leave us the rating and we'll be very 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 thankful for that all right wrap this one up this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always i'm gonna go get rid of the cold i'm gonna go get rid of this damn echo from my microphone and promise you that next week sobel studio will be sounding so much better and that's not the actual name of the studio We'll figure out what that is at a later date. But from the first time here, and definitely not the last, we will see you next week. Don't drop those MTV awards.